So hello and welcome to Something Who podcast episode 33. Uh, I'm Richard and uh, welcome to one of our guest episodes. And returning to this podcast after a gap of almost eight months, I mean, like you're intending to return, is uh, Stephen Schapansky, uh, who is, of course, among many other things, host of Radio Free Scarrow. Hello. Hello, Richard. Uh, I, I appeared at the beginning of this pandemic, I believe, and now officially this appearance signals the end of the pandemic so i think we've we've sussed it just by doing podcasts about doctor who yeah well it, it's 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 possible um, that that may be the, the the case in canada i'm afraid in <laughs> in britain all i can say is uh, you know and this is probably what you what you also say in canada is uh, Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. Uh, only in certain parts of Canada, somewhat far away from where I am right now, do they say that. <laughs> so much so that I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm afraid that um, not only are we fully in the grip of lockdown once more in the United Kingdom, but also um, we're fully in the grip of um, autocracy. So, uh, I mean, I know it's nothing to do with you, but whilst on the far side of the Atlantic, the uh, uh, people are overthrowing um, one uh, dictatorship. Um, My my friend Mike from Australia phoned me up the other day and said, uh, well, uh, congratulations, Richard. You're now officially the worst democracy in the world. (laughs) Wow. Hats off. Hats off to you, England and the UK. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm allowed to say that. Uh, and and um, listeners to, to the podcast may recall that just as we were having a chat um, eight months ago about missing episodes, my uh, my two friends and co-contributors, Tim and Paul, were also planning their missing episodes podcast. And you know, pretty much our effort has been forgotten, I think, in, in the wake of their um, astonishing um, series of episodes. Although having said that, you know, we're in something of a hiatus at the moment. Yeah, I noticed this. I had them on Radio Fuscaro because uh, I enjoyed their podcast so much. I don't even remember when that was, several months ago now at this point. And uh-huh. I said I was really looking forward to the massive two-part Daleks Master Plan episode they had planned. It still hasn't come out. still hasn't come out, that episode. I'm worried that all these excellent podcast ideas and Terry Nation Army, the next series of that, like all that's going to come out at a time when, like, the pandemic just wraps up and we suddenly yeah. find ourselves like going outside or off to work or doing something and then literally everything that we could have ingested during the last year will yeah. will no longer have time for and that's what i'm worried about the uh, daleks master plan uh missing episodes podcast yeah yeah well i mean i guess news on that front is that tim is one of those people and and I guess I'm also one of them who who has somehow managed to hang on to a job during the course of the pandemic, and as a result, I think is flat out, and that's why he's been unable to produce an episode recently. But uh, I, I guess either either one thing or another will happen, and eventually it will uh, find its way to you. Anyway, we, we're not going to talk about missing episodes. We've no. we've got a, a new and exciting gambit for today's effort, which is all about dream teams. So we are, each of us, attempting to assemble a, a pair of dream teams, one from the original series and one from the new. So uh, when we look at the original series, we're looking for a, a producer, script editor, director, writer, designer, and uh, incidental music composer. 
And then similarly in the new series, we're going for a, a showrunner, an exec, a producer, a writer, director, designer and composer. And then when we've come up with our, our dream teams, with or without overlap, we'll then also be looking maybe at a, a pair of stories that we'd like to remake using our dream team and, and, and you know, where we might go with that. Sounds, sounds promising, exciting and scary all at the same time. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, you will presumably reveal uh, in me that the sort of massive gaps in in my um, uh, knowledge of the show. I I, um, I keep getting ribbed about the fact that there are that the, the Graham Williams era in particular is one that I'm I'm a bit shaky about. But I mean, most of the rest, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm decent. I've I've probably watched most of the new series about once. But you know, I, I'd say I remember it relatively well. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, before we get going properly, we've got this, you know, part of the thing is we've got utility players as well that we might think about. So, for instance, most of of the um, script editors are also writers in the old series. We've got a producer writer in Graham Williams. So that's, you know, obviously worth considering. We've got a a producer script editor in Peter Bryant. Mm -hmm. We've got a producer director writer in Barry Letts. And we've got a script editor, producer, writer in Derek Sherwin. So we've got, you know, a number of different combinations there. Yeah. And a writer-director in uh, Peter Grimwright as well. Oh, yes. And Terrence Dudley, actually, as well. If, 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 if Just in case we uh, want to select Terrence Dudley as our preferred choice for either yeah. writing The King's Demon or, yeah, was it King's Demons? No. Tw- uh, yeah, he wrote yes. The King's Demons and directed Megla. So there you go. There's yeah. your credentials. Absolutely. Opportunity knocks for Terrence Dudley. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the, the fewer overlaps in the new, although most of the showrunners are also, of course, writers. Although not uh, all of them in other eras. Mm-hmm. I think I think Chibnall is the only sort of ever present across all three. Yes, right. Okay, well, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if this is a blessing or a curse, but I feel like uh, as as guest, I ought to allow you to go first. And maybe talk about script editors. We'll, we'll do this alternately, so, we, so, so you're not always going first. Okay, okay. And talk about script editors. Script editors, goodness. Well, there's there's been a few over the years. I was, I was looking over this. I, I, I intended at first to sort of go in blind and just sort of like talk my way into something. But then I realized about 20 minutes before recording, I think, no, I should write something down. Uh, script editors, boy, this, uh, I actually didn't take long to settle on David Whitaker, who was the very first okay. script editor. I think, you know, he, he set the show on its way, I think. Uh, I think he really helped sort of create an arc to the characters in that first season mm. where the Doctor started off very gruff and angry and and belligerent and gradually sort of turned into um, it's a sort of more... Not, 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 the, not the sort of the hero that I think we got in later... Trout is certainly. I think he was still like yeah. <laughs> more of a flight than fight sort of uh, uh, doctor. But um, I think I also kind of weighted it towards some of his contributions on the writing side, and like you know perhaps he had more in him because because you know we're looking at a dream team to perhaps reproduce a story. So some of my my picks are kind of potential. You know, what potential yeah. did we not get from them because they moved on to other things? And Whitaker left after the first year and wrote after that, I think the finest two Dalek stories in Doctor Who history, uh, Power and Evil of the Daleks, yeah. are superb. I think they're head and shoulders above anything else that they've ever done with Daleks in the entire history of the show. So that's why I'm putting David Whitaker as my chosen classic series or original series 
script editor. Excellent. Thank you. That's a very strong start. And I have to say that David Whitaker was, was high on my list too. But in the end, and possibly because of some of my other choices, and, and you know, we may not have heard the last of David Whitaker on this list, but I've gone for Robert Holmes. And the yeah. reason that I've gone for Robert Holmes is because I think that, that while he was script editor, two things really, it feels like like his run is one of the strongest and most consistent. But also it's you know he's 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 certainly unafraid to take other people's ideas and rewrite them when they're not working. Mm-hmm. But whereas we've seen a lot of that elsewhere in the in the original series, what seems to happen under his watch is that is that he he rewrites these things into some of the greatest stories that we've seen. So Ark in Space, yep. turns out great after he's had a go at it. Pyramids of Mars, similarly. Uh, Brain of Morbius. I mean, Terence Dix might have had a thing to say about that, but it feels like what we ended up with was 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 pretty pretty excellent and you know clearly also one of the one of the celebrated writers but I, but I feel like he's he's got it in his power to to pick up something if it's not quite working and, and maybe sort of fine-tune it into something better so that's why I've gone for Robert Holmes yeah I I I was I mean it's Robert Holmes he's responsible for some of the greatest stuff ever written for Doctor Who he also had a very I've I've read that he he didn't like using female characters because he didn't feel good about killing them right. off, uh, right. which kind of sounds like I you know he said before he died in 1986, so I don't know how aware of feminism he was, but you know it's it's shocking to watch a Robert Holmes story and really there are no real female characters. It's really up to the director to cast a woman for a role that was originally male. And so if I'm so that kind of like knocked a couple of points off for me a little bit, so that's why I I didn't choose him as script editor. But I mean, it's not that that was certainly one knock against him. There's there's some tremendous stuff from in there. I, I fully concur with your pick. Yeah, it's a it's a fair point, well made. I I think my 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 wild card, if if I was to to throw one, might be Douglas Adams, because I think you know based on your comment about potential mm-hmm. it feels to me like we, we didn't really see the best of, of, of Douglas Adams in Doctor Who constrained perhaps by budgets time frame strikes Hitchhike. the fact that he's trying Hitchhiker's to write three things at once galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I mean you know and let's face it not exactly renowned for, for, for very much output at any time in his life but you know when it did come it was generally of, of, of high quality so yeah I mean I I'm not going to pick him, but but if, but if I had a wild card, I might throw it in that direction. Mm-hmm. We were lucky to have him for as short a time as we did, I think, in Doctor Who. Uh, it's a sh- yeah. it's a shame that he died so tragically young, because I think, as Russell T. Davies said, like had he been alive, he only lived to be 49. Uh, he would 100% have would have written for that first season at the very least of of the modern series. And gosh, what a story that would have been. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I mean, it would have been a, it would have been a hell of a headache. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying try, try to get it out they of it. Yeah, it, it would have been good. Yeah, they would have slated it for series one, and then by series three, <laughs> they might have finally got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think moving on to producer. So, so I'll I'll kick us off on this All one, right. and then you can you can come in behind me. So, I guess for for very similar reasons to you picking David Whitaker, I've gone for Verity Lambert for my producer because I feel like she she picked up the programme from 
a, you know, a piece of paper and turned it into reality. Mm-hmm. And by the time she left the programme, its future was essentially assured. I mean, you know, don't, don't get me wrong, there were wrinkles along the way and there was a pretty pretty big hurdle to overcome both, I guess, at the end of the of the Hartnell and, and Troughton years. But nonetheless, it, it had gone from being, look, here's a thing that might be fun to make to here's a staple of the... Yeah, a fixture, I suppose, of, of the of the schedules. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had been already already been running for for a couple of years, and it was it was sort of you know guaranteed to run for a third year. And I think also, what you know, what might be interesting, you know, based on your potential discussion, is okay. I mean, the Verity from the sixties was a force already, but but Verity maybe you know by the the eighties or 90s having gained so much more experience in television production we might have seen at that stage maybe you know another side to her that would have been fa- yeah because that was like her first job as a producer was basically doing doctor who there's it, there's such a like a revolution in the way that doctor that first series is made like it's thrown away it's thrown away give it just give it to this 27 year old woman yeah <laughs> you know we'll let this this young Indian director had the first episode, whatever. It's just out of the way. It's yeah. a thing. It's there to fill the gap in the schedules. Go nuts. And then, you know, five weeks later, the Daleks appear and everything changes. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I love I love how she transitions from that scrappy go-getter of a series to all of a sudden series two, it becomes like, let's try comedy. Let's try a massive madcap Dalek chase. Let's go to an alien planet where literally no one is dre- is a human being. We have the, yeah. we don't have the money for it, but we're going to go for it anyway. Like it goes, yeah. it just the the boundless imagination of those first two seasons, I think, are are a credit to her role as producer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and it, I mean, I guess there have been there have been female producers in in the new series, but but really the only time that the series has ever been overseen by a woman yeah in its run mm-hmm. yeah women have a rem- like you know uh what's her name at the uh joanna spicer at the bbc was very responsible for getting the series greenlit in the first place you have Dee Lee derbyshire mm. of course making the yeah. music you have uh, verity lambert i mean you know and then you have like julie gardner and jane tranter in the modern series yeah. bringing it back women sadly don't feature as prominently in doctor who history as they should but they're there at the crucial moments to make the yeah. show happen absolutely Stephen, who's your pick well, I mean, I, I could make a case for pretty much every single producer <laughs> in this list. Yep. I'm fascinated by the John Wiles era. Uh, it yeah. didn't last long. He hated being there. But I thought he pushed <laughs> Doctor Who in these weird, uncomfortable directions that I think it's uh, important yeah. for a show at that time of its lifespan to to go on. You know, Innis Lloyd, I think, helped sort of create the what we know now as Doctor Who. You know, the, the Troughton yeah. era, I think, is sort of the first modern, if you will, instance of of, uh, of how the show is going to be made for the next 50 years. Mm-hmm. Derek Sherwood, Peter Bryant, they, you know, unit, that helped establish a format that uh, that was very popular. Barry Letts made the show primetime viewing uh, and, and, like, you know, 8, 10, 11 million viewers, which it never really had in, in like, a a constant run as, as he did in his time. Then, of course, it's Philip mm. Hitchcliffe. But I am choosing because based on, you know, potential uh, and 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 perhaps getting the, the short straw, I'm choosing Graham Williams. I, I'm going through yet another reappraisal of the Graham Williams era as of late. 
it's uh-huh. it's it is slightly nostalgia tinged. I grew up in that era. I stopped watching the show for a couple of years because I didn't have the means to watch it. And then when I came back into it, it was happened to just be Graham Williams coming around again. So that's my happy spot. But there is just a sense of fun to the show and fantasy and, uh, you know, moving away from the horror movie tropes of the Hinchcliffe Holmes era to like more of a fantastical based yeah. in sort of classic, classic literature elements as well, but also with some, you know, perhaps driven by the script editors of the day, like, you know, Image of the Fendel and Horror of Fang Rock are very much holdovers from the previous year. Yeah. There's some great ambition in that, in those three seasons that are completely undone by the economic situation of the time. <laughs> uh, they basically run out of money before they had it even spent, you know, but they say, well, we budgeted for this, but four months later, by the way, your budget's gone. So I, I would have loved to have Graham Williams have a proper budget and, uh, and less strife. And uh, he was half the team responsible for City of Death. Uh, Douglas Adams wrote yeah. it, but Graham Williams locked the door and poured the coffee. And uh, you know, <laughs> he had his part to yeah. play as well. And he didn't get the sign-off that he deserved and, and shot it because, it, uh, of course, it was yeah. canceled by a strike. So I always thought that Graham Williams uh, deserved another kick at the cat. Yeah, yeah, we've just been watching uh, Androids of Tara for for this podcast, and it was a lot of fun actually. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. and so so I mean I won't say too much more, but but yeah, it, I think we all very much enjoyed watching it, and it and it it, it, it possibly will help me to to um, reappraise his era. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I hope I know you said you're a little hazy on on the Graham Williams era. It's just so it's it's just lovely i I love the edges of tara so much it's basically doctor who's version of the princess bride i think there's just a swashbuckling going on only one character dies in the entire thing and it's madame lamia and she basically gets hit by you know um by a random laser bolt which are amazing in and of itself i think the visual effects in graham williams era are amazing Mm. some of the model work is the best ever in the history yeah. of the show like the pirate planet has a wonderful explosion at the end and then hordes of Nymon mm. even has some excellent uh model work and everything and and you know go back to the uh the lack of female characters in robert holmes's stuff i there the graham williams era is awash with strong female characters yeah. especially stones of blood and creature from the pit even features a strong performance from maya francis and uh yeah it's a uh, it's it's become a very happy place for me during this pandemic but just overall the graham williams era fantastic okay good well moving on right do you want to lead us off then talking about directors oh. and who you'd like to have? oh god so this this is basically the reason i you suggested this idea and I leapt at it because I couldn't think of anything else to do. But really in the background, I'm just thinking, is there a way that I could talk about classic series directors? Because <laughs> I appreciate their work so much. And so I always look for a chance to talk about them. We do so on Radio Free Scar a lot in our Miniscope segment. It's um, I, I, I remember Russell T. Davis saying in a commentary, I think, or something. He did a lot of interviews over the years about how he, you know, if forced to during, like, during his time on the show, he probably could have directed an episode if he needed to. You know, you place your camera there, you shoot something, you tell your lighting people to do the stuff, you move the camera over there, you shoot it again, it gets edited later. Classic series is made mm-hmm. differently. It's multicam, it's happening essentially live. The cameras are part of the action in a way because they have to get across the studio to cover the various shots. 
And it's very much a ballet of these large clunky cameras being there without crossing cables or anything like that. Like it's just a it's a finely tuned art of precision that I don't think gets as much praise as it should. Uh, and yeah. so I've appreciated the works of, of lots of directors over the years. The go to but the easy choice would be Graham Harper for yeah. Andrzejewski, but he only directed two stories. He only directed Andrzejewski and uh, and Re Revelation of the Daleks, and then of course directed eleven episodes in the modern series. So I thought, well, I'll just take him off the table because I think we kind of had the potential. We had his the bulk of his Doctor Who work is actually in the modern modern series, even though I think his work in is probably the best in the classic uh, series. I'm the only yeah. one to ever say that. I know. <laughs> There are Peter Grimwade, I tell you, is a good director too. Uh, yeah. Earthshock chugs along. It is remarkably fast paced for a story mm. when you watch the the raw studio footage of it on the season nineteen box set and you realize how many of what you're how much what you're watching isn't done in like, you know, there's no like gallery sessions much. Like most of the effects are done live, basically. Like they're they're keying in a screen and stuff. That's not putting it after the fact. That all, all has to be lined up, and yet they, it just moves so quickly. There are so many short scenes, and there's just a pace and a rhythm to that that I think matches up against anything made in the in the modern series. Hmm. So I'm I'm having a hard time though de de deciding on two different directors. Right, Douglas Campfield, I think, is because of his large collection of episodes that he did from the '60s all the way to Seeds of Doom in, in '76. I think gets my choice. But if we're going on the potential angle that I'm sort of going on, Michael Ferguson is directed four stories, uh, War Machines, Seeds of Death, uh, my favorite, The Ambassadors of Death, and Claws of Axos. Uh, and then yeah. later on in his career, his distinguished career, he went on to be the producer and directed quite a few episodes of my, one of my new favorite series over the last year or two, The Sandbaggers. Um, uh -huh. Another show which is like so tightly, it's a show from 1978 and or 79, and it's you think it would be slow, but it just it's remarkably fast paced, and it's down to the direction a lot of the time. And so, I'm having a real hard time deciding between, between Douglas Canfield and Michael Ferguson, but I the hell that I'm gonna go Michael Ferguson. I want to see what Michael Ferguson uh, would have done with more episodes because I think. There's some great stuff that he does, especially in Ambassadors of Death, which I just adore. So, yeah, so yeah Michael Ferguson, off the table. <laughs> well, interesting, because I, 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 was, I, was, I was looking for, a, for another pick just in case, because I, I think I'm going to go for the obvious D Douglas Canfield. Yeah, and, I'm, and primarily... I'm glad you chose him. I'm glad I don't feel bad about yeah, not yeah. choosing him. Because 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 I look at his the list of the stories he's on and I can't see a bad one now I mean there, no. there could be some luck in that but I but when you do so many stories across such a long period of time I don't believe it mm -hmm. and we had I was speaking with Jeremy Bentham on this podcast I don't know, a month or two ago and Jeremy's view was that that Douglas Camfield kind of took the 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 multi camera setup that you're talking about and yet somehow with that managed to, to tell stories in a way that was kind of more similar to the the film stories that came out of um, ITV at, at a similar time and you know I can see that I mean certainly one of the things that that uh, staggered me was when we got to see Web of Fear 
and that sort of Yeti attack in episode four that people had talked about for a long time and said, well, you know, that was that was something. But you kind of think, really? You know, kind of big lumbering costumes. <laughs> how how good stu- could this possibly have been? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yet it was good. Yeah. I, 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 you know, it, it certainly held the attention. It didn't it didn't look bad. So we, we watched The Crusade not long ago. Another another great historical i mean a serious historical so mm-hmm. you know a lot of the historicals have played the comedy but this one sort of played straight up lots of lovely nuance in that and and you know kind of really getting i mean of course some of that is, is whitaker but but getting into the to, to the to the background and so on so yeah douglas camfield i mean i think i think i i, I also I, th- I think next up from that maybe Derek martinus are quite like mm. some of the some of uh the, the things that he does and, and it, again it feels like they are just a bit of just a cut above although you know your pick michael ferguson i love ambassadors as well and 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 when i watched um clause of access not so long ago again there's this kind of similar thing going on with that where you sort of see them silhouetted against the sun and it's it's kind of in, uh, and even when you can sort of see inside the the power station at some point there's some there's some clever stuff going on mm-hmm. uh, where he's sort of shooting from outside in yeah so but anyway, I'm picking Douglas Campbell. Oh, I, I I applaud that pick. I'm just I, I, you know, Seeds of Doom is one of my favorite stories, and it's the scenes in the in the 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 garburator room, so to speak, which just like are just layered in. Like I don't think Doctor Who's ever been darker than those scenes set in there. And then when you know Harrison Chase gets blended up, just the mm. you know it's it's all music building up up to that point, and then. It stops once Chase goes in there. Is that awful scream and just the the performances from Baker and Sladen yeah. after it, like they've they've just experienced something horrific, and you know there's just it's just a wave of just ugh, shock and nausea almost when when you just think of what just happened and how they were in mm. the room. It's just like yeah, it was. I, th- I think the seeds of doom finally sort of caught up to where Douglas Canfield, I think, well, I think Canfield liked to sort of push the uh, limits. I know he did a lot of like, you yeah. know, stuff like the Sweeney and stuff in the 1970s. Like that's where he, he was at. And I think Doctor Who being sort of the family show was sort of like below what I think the potential he could have brought. And then it sort of matched him with seeds of doom. Sure. Okay. So I guess next we want to talk about writers um, and I guess we're gonna we're, we're gonna have to um, work out now. You've I mean you've picked up David Whitaker as your script editor, mm. so I'm so can I borrow him then as my writer or or if, if we do we take it? You no, know, I don't you know. You can have him. We're gonna have to work you it out. Have, I mean, there's always there's a David Agnew pseudonym waiting to be used yeah, in yeah. case he has to edit his own material. So yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. So so I think I mean as as you said about about his two Dalek stories, the. Uh, I don't want to rub salt in the wound. I'm not sure that that the new version of Power of the Daleks has reached your side of the, at the Atlantic yet. But in in that version, I think you know we we finally got the version of Power that enables us to understand you know how good it is. I mean, you know the the, the soundtrack, the the Telesnap version, the original animated. You know they're they're all good enough to for you to understand what's going on. But I think this latest version. The, the animation is such that it doesn't take you out of it. I mean, it, it, you know, I'm not I'm not going to tell you that it's that it's perfect, but essentially it's good enough so that you'd forget that it's that that it's there and you're just focused on the story. Mm-hmm. And what a story! I, I mean, one of the things I said when we when we watched it on the, on the podcast was, <laughs> amazingly enough, it tells the story of Brexit and COVID 
uh, 50 years before it happened because fundamentally you've got you've got all these people plotting in the background trying to do one thing and it, you know and they don't realize that all that all that time what's actually happening is the daleks are taking over just as in this country we've had people you know they've been desperate to kind of try to gain control and just at the point they gain control uh, the pandemic's here sorry mm-hmm. <laughs> your, 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 your plans are at an end but anyway i mean that that, that aside we bought i've already mentioned the crusade enemy of the world i love that as well ambassadors of death okay not entirely clear how much we can we can say that, that david whittaker's responsible for that very but, little sadly but, but yeah 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 and the oddities in 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 the first two seasons i think making making good use perhaps of you know those those kind of two-part gaps where they've got to they've got to produce something and and, and he, he tells a couple of not well one weird story one nice story um to fill that gap mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I would uh, I would be very comfortable choosing David Whitaker. Thankfully, I, I included him as script editor, so I don't yeah, have indeed. to. Um, but oddly enough, you mentioned uh, Ambassador to Death, and I, I think I never even thought about Malcolm Hulk as a writer choice. Yeah, but I'm not moving away from my my established pick for writer. Yeah, Robert Holmes is great. I already we already talked about him. He's already script editor in yours, so that's fine. Based on the potential angle that I'm going towards, I am picking Chris. Boucher, right? Who yeah. uh, wrote three stories in very quick succession, and then was robbed from us by going on to be the script editor for for Blake Seven, and making yeah. the dialogue in that show over the course of its four year run some of the most scintillating and sparkling I've ever seen on yeah. TV. And then you watch Star Cops, which has you know production wise it's hit or miss depending on who's directing it, but the the quips and the dialogue and the banter are there. And I miss that banter being in Doctor Who. We get it in Robots of Death mm. a lot. Get a little bit. There's some great lines, amazing lines written. You know, the the uh, you're the classic example of the inverse ratio of the size of the mouth and the size of the brain. That's a Chris Boucher line. Yeah, I love the one. I can't remember the whole thing now, but the the very powerful and the very stupid have two, uh, you know one uh, one thing in common. They try. You know the one I mean, right? The um, yeah. Uh, they try to make the they, instead of making their views fit the facts, they make their facts fit their views. It's it's given us a throwaway. Like it's such a it's a poster line, and it happens yeah. in the background. Tom Baker's mulling around while Leela is like uh, under hypnosis, sort of looking for a weapon to kill him. That one of the greatest lines ever written for Doctor Who is a throwaway line, uh, and it was Chris Boucher. And uh, yeah, I have always said that we never got more Chris Boucher. Robert Holmes is parting gift to Doctor Who was to rob him, rob us of uh, his protege by telling him to go somewhere else because he probably could have very easily taken the Doctor Who job from mm. uh, Robert Holmes but uh, but we lost him to Blake Seven instead. So And Blake Seven wouldn't have been anywhere near as good or well remembered if it wasn't for Chris Boucher. So I'm picking him as my writer. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Very, very sound. Uh, I, I, I can't really add that. I mean, there have been so many great writers but that's that yeah that that's that's a, a, an excellent pick of yours okay designer i guess it's your turn to, to go first <laughs> right uh what, d- what thoughts do you have on design well i i have i am a great admirer of design even though i'm not necessarily familiar with all the designers who worked at doctor who it's it's only podcasts like this which sort of make me stop sit down and take stock about uh who designed the show over the years i mean and then you look at you know the page on tardis.fandom.com and you realize that after that first season or two when it was raymond 
Cusick basically doing the science fiction stories and Barry yeah. Newbury doing the uh, uh, historicals. Then after that, it's a mishmash. Like there's a lot of one-offs until maybe you get to the 1970s and the Hitchcliffe era. And then I realize, oh, right, of course, Roger Murray Leach. How do you not pick Roger Murray Leach? who designed the Ark in the Ark in Space, uh, did the Santarin experiment. Yeah. It was the same with that production block in the Revenge of the Cybermen. They used most of the same sets. He uh, did Deadly Assassin. I mean, basically created the look of Gallifrey. The, the, just like, you know, on that cheap budget, those sets are alarmingly good. Talons of Wang Chiang is also good. But I tell you what, you know what? I'm going to go off the board on this one. Uh, I'm going to go with someone who actually thought initially, my first pick, was Tony Burrow. Tony Burrow did... Keeper of Trocken, Fort of Doom's right. Day, Warriors of the Deep, and uh-huh. and then he also did um, The Two Doctors. What Tony Burrow sort of specialized in was creating what he called jigsaw sets. He would create like set components that could be moved around and rearranged into different positions to look like similar, you know, rooms in a, in a place, like a spaceship in Fort right. of Doomsday or a sea base in yeah. Warriors of the Deep, and just make it look wide and expansive and i thought i thought the, the sets in fort of doomsday have always enthralled me because of how mm-hmm. massive they looked be and all they are is basically yes. four or five different scenery flats on wheels being able to move around really quickly we did an amazing job with they the lighting director didn't quite uh, mesh with him on warriors of the deep but i think the set design in warriors of the deep is very very good indeed so yeah i'm picking tony burrow as my as my set designer very good yeah i mean i, I Warriors of the Deep is a, is, is a funny one because for about two episodes of it, you know, and I remember it very well. It was it went out in early 1984. It's just you know not not long after the Five Doctors. It's one of Doctor Who's peaks, I suppose, at this point. Uh, you know, just hit the 20th anniversary. Everyone's very excited. I was about 16. I'd gone through my kind of early teen. You know, oh, this is this is a load of old rubbish. You can't bother with it any longer. And I was back on the. The fanzines were arriving through the post by the the, the dozen. Uh, you know, I was a member of the Doctor Appreciation Society. I was all in, and for two episodes, you got as you, as you say, fantastic sets, and you know, it's quite a compelling and fast paced story. Well, it's kind of fast paced until it gets to the Silurians and the Sea Devils, which can't really move very fast. No. And then I don't know. It, 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 uh, I guess it kind of in our heads, it's the Merca that that, that that really does it. Although it just kind of unravel slightly along the way but but yeah no I mean I, I I definitely applaud that pick I mean I'm I'm afraid that I mean you've already said really all that I could say about um, Roger Murray Leach and I think I'm going to pick him oh, yeah um, do it based on based on that um, planet of evil set you know particular in particular I mean I, w- I would have liked to have picked Ray Kusick because of you know the the importance of the of the Daleks and the Dalek city right at the very start but then you know Barry Newbury also, and and Peter Brachiaki before the console. I mean, you can't you can't really unpick any any one of those and say it was all to do with them. It was a sort of a, a, a team effort, as you say, for that first um, first year or two. So, so yeah, I'm going to pick I'm going to pick Roger Murray Leach. Noted. Very very wise choice. Uh, very prolific designer too was Roger Murray Leach. I didn't actually realize yeah. how many episodes or how many stories in such a short amount of time he uh, was designing. Yeah, for. yeah, absolutely. Which takes us on to composer, and I wasn't entirely sure what I was going to do with this. I mean, there's there aren't as many composers actually as I thought there might be. 
you know, looking looking through it, a lot of the of the early stories, I guess it's surprising how quickly Dudley Simpson gets involved because <laughs> I'd sort of thought of him as the as the guy from the seventies and eighties, but he's actually in there pretty early on. And but yeah, I mean, it's it's the same few names for the first almost couple of decades really, and then there's a few more coming later on. I'm I'm going to pick I'm, I'm going to be a bit capricious really and pick Paddy Kingsland because ah oh, nice uh-huh. and, and it's really based again as you say on my youth. I mean it, it it's it's a lot of tunes that, that that are familiar to me. So I looked at what he did. You've got Full Circle, got the the, the tune around Mistfall. You've got Adric's theme. Castra Valva, the music for that was, you know, I guess you've got both that kind of doom laden stuff that's around the first episode when everything's going wrong, but then you've also got the the lovely themes around Castra Valva itself. Visitation, it's you know that that kind of cod, uh, where are we, Elizabethan maybe, a bit after that uh, sort of music, and then Frontios. Uh, well, actually, the, the the Brigadier's remembering scene in Mordrin that's oh. quite familiar to me. Margin's probably my favorite Paddy Coogan story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then Frontios, I, I, a story that I, I loved, I know, despite many reasons not to, but 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 uh, I mean the, the the script is beautiful, and I, um, I I love the music in that too. Yeah, so, uh, I I'm a I'm a child of the '80s. I'm, I adore the Radiophonic Workshop's work. It's my favorite audio time. In Doctor Who, and and you could tell like right around where his score for Hitchhiker's Guide sort of like you yeah. can tell it's happening right alongside his Doctor Who work before it verges off again. I think it happens around uh, Castrovalva ish. I think is probably the time. It's very there, but yeah, though his uh, Legopolis. I remember the very first scene in Legopolis, uh, the shot of the telephone box with the policeman mm. on on the uh, Barnum Bypass and uh, Barnet Bypass and. I just remember as a kid, Legopolis being a huge imprint on because I didn't know that Doctors Regenerated, and that was my first time. I went into a cold, and the very first shot with that doom-laden soundtrack happening right there, I just had an inclination that something bad was going to go down, and it left me uneasy for the entire hour and a half that I watched the omnibus version, and of course at the end he died. And then at the beginning, I love how, how Kingsland as I talk about your choice more than you talked about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, I, I have, I am, I am always a fan of, of yeah. incidental music, but how the regeneration theme is very funereal yeah. at the end of Legopolis, but then it builds up. It's yes. the greatest intro with that cold open, the first ever yeah. cold open where they have the regeneration. It's just this yeah. big triumphant thing and it crashes mm. in. And that, I, mean, I, I credit Peter Davison for helping me embrace change because he was, you know, I, 10 minutes into Castor Valve, I, yeah. I had accepted him. Uh, but honestly, it's that, it's that yes. pre-credit sequence that just like, oh, this is so exciting. I'm yeah. overjoyed by this. So yeah, I can't believe I didn't pick. talk about that, actually. You're absolutely right. It's, it's possibly the greatest piece of music in Doctor Who. Yeah, I just, I just the way it segues into the opening yes. title, it's just like, oh, Good stuff. Along that line, I, I am choosing Peter Howe, uh, right. uh, from, also for the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. I, I mean, I will say Dudley Simpson's time from about Evil of the Daleks, he was sort of sporadically on there up until uh, the end of season seven and he became the regular composer after that. That's my favorite time for Dudley Simpson. I think his scores vary a lot more, like the Ice Wars, that ethereal uh, yeah. sort of female vocal through it all. He does the same thing uh, or similar in the Space Pirates, an underrated story. 
mm-hmm. then the War Games is amazing, and the Seeds of Death. But his my favorite score of his is um, Bastards of Death, with the timpani bits, and it just it meshes well with Michael Ferguson's direction. I thought, even though it's pre-recorded, but no, Peter Howell. I thought it, of all the certainly of all the Radiophonic Workshop uh, composers, I found that his work tended to shift to what he was doing the score for. Leisure High, it's all 80s and tachyons and science, and it's got the most 1980s soundtrack ever. I just love hearing the sounds that he he uses on that. And the theme, the the, the Howl theme is my favorite. And then you get to like stuff like you know the awakening, and uh, especially I think my favorite score of his is actually the Two Doctors because it has all this Spanish guitar in it. And he gets oh, someone yes. to come in to play Spanish guitar, yeah. and it just fits the mood of that story so much. I'm a big fan of the Two Doctors, mostly because of the music and location <laughs> footage, not necessarily the story that's going on, and certainly not because of the direction, but because of the music. So yeah, Peter Howe, I actually met uh, interviewed him a good few years ago. And it was delight. It was I try not to let on that I was talking to one of my absolute heroes when I was a kid. So hmm. yeah, pick a Peter Hal. He was great. Excellent. Okay, so I think that means we've we've assembled our dream teams. We have. So what do you what what, what do you want to do with yours then? Oh, I haven't even thought about what story they're going to make. So so the the notion is that they are remaking a, a classic story or yeah. or, or well I okay. think so. But 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 I mean. You know, I, I I leave it to you to 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 come up with. Yeah, with the thing. Ah, let me see here. Let me let's see this concocted uh, list that I have here. I kind of want to uh, remake a Graham Williams era story, just right. because. Yeah. So that Graham gets his uh, his send off, I suppose. That makes sense. Or perhaps I want them to make a better version of a sh- of an episode that came. Before or after. So as I look at this, with the designing talent and the directing talent and the writing, I'm going to say, no, you know what? Remake Time Flight and make it look better. (laughs) So have at it, guys. I'm sure you can do a great job with Time Flight better than it actually was at the end of a season with no money. Even though there's some good talent there. Peter Grimwade wrote that. You know, but I think it's uh, it could be made a lot better. So, yeah, Hmm. have at it, crew. Isn't that the the classic, though, of having your man playing... Out of position that if Grimway had directed it, I'm not saying we should have had Ron Joe's write it, but nonetheless, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, I feel that it would have looked better maybe if it, if it had. Yeah, yeah, sadly. Yeah. Okay, I mean, I, I guess on a similar theme, and perhaps it, it is a bit trivial, but for some reason, and I can't really explain it, I've always felt that there was a good story trying to get out of Terminus, mm. but but somehow it, it it doesn't quite make it. So I, uh, you know, so I'm hoping that this is this this team of mine can do can do something with it. And we don't, you know, we don't we don't have to have giant shaggy dog costumes. We don't have to have <laughs> big hair everywhere. Right. Um, you know, we we could actually have. I, I mean, I guess I, I guess you know some of the people look like they're in a bit of a bad way, but I don't know. On the on the whole, it's all a little bit too glam for it to to, to work really well. And perhaps with yeah, if we, if, if if we're going to have. Holmes having a having a crack at it, and Whitaker maybe throwing a bit a bit of his moral conflict in there as well, and and yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it'll just mm-hmm. end up being as exactly as it always was. But uh, <laughs> I, I feel that I don't know. I feel there's something in there that might come out. I, I think so. I think it could be tightened up a lot. So I think I think your team could do a good job on it. Excellent. Um, look, Stephen, how are you how are you doing for time? Because I don't want to 
I I am I got plenty of time. Fantastic. Yeah, I know I know we're like 50 minutes in and we've only covered the modern yeah, series. Yeah. But I feel we could probably wax more poetically about the the classic series than the modern ones. Yeah, 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 indeed. Yeah, I mean I, I'm absolutely not worried about it, but I just didn't want to um, leave you in a situation where you're you're, you're uh, champing at the bit. No, no, no. Excellent. Okay, so let's then go to the new series. So let me think about this. Is it my turn to go first now? Uh, yes, because I think I, I chose the first producer, so it's, yeah, yeah. it's all up to you. Okay, so showrunner for the for the new series. I mean, we, we're, we're, we're almost certainly going to have, or, or we may well have du- duplicates here because there's perhaps fewer people to pick from. But I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to pick Russell T. Davis as my showrunner. And, right. and, and the reason for that is that I feel, I feel like I owe him in a way because I don't feel like I appreciated him when he was running the show the way that I ought to have done mm. because I guess you know in the, in the same way that that I talked earlier about Verity Lambert taking a concept and and, and bunging it on the screen and and, and taking it from uh, well as you said something that, that nobody really expected to last all that long in, into a fixture Russell T Davis took something that was a joke and he turned it into an absolute fixture on on Saturday evening telly and you know, yeah, it wasn't always exactly the thing that the fans wanted, but he understood that what the fans want <laughs> is a very poor marker by which to make Doctor Who, mm. and also he understood how to he understood his modern audience and how to build an audience. And I go back now and watch stories from his era, and I find that I enjoy them a lot more than I did at the time. And I can't really explain that, except perhaps I'm I'm a bit of an idiot, but. <laughs> But yeah, he seems to have a lot of heart, and he seems he seems to, as I say, I think I think I, I think I appreciate the world that he's building a lot more than I did then. Yeah, you know, it it took. I mean, Russell T Davies basically kind of insisted because he was sort of being courted for a little bit to maybe do you want to do Doctor Who? Yeah, and I think his fear was they're going to just bury it on BBC Three and it's going to be this little niche thing. Yeah, but you know. Doctor Who, I mean, you know, everyone complains about ratings nowadays. I find that the entire TV uh, industry has been splintered off into streaming services and everything else. Uh, And so I find that, you know, everything is sort of niche. The only mainstream programs you see in certainly North America are ones that no one really talks about. The ones that get all the ratings are kind of the ones that are thrown away and just watched by people who have normal cable. Yeah. And you target your audience towards, like, you know, there's, you know, Game of Thrones for all of its cultural zeitgeist was, like, watched by four or five million people because HBO was a subscription service. Yeah. But Doctor Who, from the moment it came back, has been a flagship program on BBC One, you know, accessible to all. Yeah. And I, I'm very proud and happy that Russell T. Davies did that. He may, you know, he. That's where it started. It didn't expand. It started as a Saturday night. We're taking back Saturdays. Eleven million people watched it. Whereas, you know, I compare it to like the the new Star Trek series, which you know, if you like them, fine. I, I I'm hit or miss on a lot of them, but it was basically made to bring fans to pay for CBS All Access. It's a very insular. I don't think they're building an audience there. They're honing the current audience they have, whereas I feel Russell T. Davies' approach to Doctor Who, making it a very open tent, 
not relying on its past very much at all. Like, you know, they didn't even mention Davros, even though he was talking about him. It took him to year three to bring back the word Gallifrey and like the runaway bride. Yeah. Uh, and so just that approach, that approach from him, you know, in, in retrospect, you're right. I kind of appreciate it at the time. Maybe I think maybe this is a little, a little too broad perhaps for my liking, but it brought so many more fans into the show. And as you say, it was a joke at the time, and it certainly wasn't after that, but it was fun. It was a fun show. And I, I think that the, the eras that have come after that, I think, have been allowed to sort of mine the other elements of the show's past because of what Russell T. Davies did at the very beginning to, like, here's the playing field. The rest of you can now play on it. Mm-hmm. I've built it for you. Have fun. <laughs> and and I think, yeah, it's so – you're right. I've kind of gone through a bit of a reappraisal as well. I think I think just the the style of making television I think from the uh, the latter half of the first decade of this century has sort of moved on and so if anything it just feels kind of dated a little bit just compared to how they make television now yeah. but uh, but apart from that I think I think the the, the overall approach of Doctor Who was very strong from the start. Mm-hmm. So is that your pick too, or have you got a different one? No, no, I just wanted to wax poetic about Russell T. Davies because <laughs> I think, and I, I, you know, and, and I, I'm enjoying the Chris Chibnall era. I think it could be uh, marketed a little better, perhaps. Maybe we're missing the oversight of an Edward Russell brand manager as opposed uh-huh. to sort of just being done in house now. That's one frustration, or maybe it's just secretism from Chris Chibnall as well. I think that the last series of Doctor Who was one of my favorites of the entire history of the show. I think it pushed the boat out a lot. But no, I'm going to pick Stephen Moffat. It's, it's, that era, the Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi era, are are basically made for me. That right. is just my perfect vision of Doctor. I shouldn't say perfect. There are obviously like elements that you could probably choose and stuff. It's very laddish. Uh, now that I talk to like people who are you know women or or LGBTQ people who who watch the show and find the points where this is wrong and that's wrong, it's sort of like I got. Ah, uh, yeah, that that could be different there. But you know, to to Moffat's credit, he looks at the scene at the end of um, Time of Angels, Flesh and Stone, about how Amy suddenly gets uh, Randy for the Doctor and tries to kiss him and stuff. And mm. he thought it was like at the end of like a sort of a madcap adventure. And then retrospect, he goes, "Why did I do that? I ruined the episode." I think, yeah, he kind of did, but I'm glad you realize it now. You know, everything yeah. about the Moffat era, just the way the stories were told how he kept it fresh, you know, uh, th- th- there was always something sort of different, perhaps to almost to, to a fault in a way. I think sometimes he, he, there's a, there's a lack of confidence in himself that, that we wouldn't just accept another season of a similar thing. Like Matt Smith's first series is spectacular. And I think, I think maybe he overreached a little bit, just trying to not duplicate himself hmm. when he could have very easily done that. And I think we would, would have been just as satisfied, but, uh, yeah, Moffat's era is uh, is my favorite. I think in the entire history of the show, so it it wasn't much of a of of a of a dilemma for me to pick him. Very good. Okay, and we're also picking uh, an exec because it feels like in in the new series there's always been sort of somebody else alongside the showrunner, and it's not necessarily you know to the fan entirely clear what those people do, but clearly they they must need them otherwise there wouldn't be one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. so who, who do you want? I'm going to pick uh, Brian Minchin, who was right. uh, Moffat's exec on series eight and nine. Yeah. Uh, Moffat himself said that, you know, the latter two Matt Smith eras were kind of fraught with a lot of difficulty with, you know, Pierce Wenger and Beth Will- uh, Willis in there. And then um, Carolyn Skinner was there for yeah. a spell. Like there was a rotate. There was 
there was strife, uh, yes. especially during the latter half of Series 7B when he's trying to get uh, the Day of the Doctor together and everything yeah. else is sort of collapsing. And it was Brian Minchin who sort of came in, was a, just the one executive producer that he needed to sort of like yeah. help so he could just focus on the writing. And the first two series of uh, the Peter Capaldi era are my favorite. I adore them. And so because of that, I'm not necessarily what the executive producers necessarily <laughs> does, but uh, because of his impact on the show, Brian Minchin. Yeah. Uh, it, it allowed Moffat to sort of be the creative type as opposed to the uh, the pen pusher uh, aspect of his job. So, so yeah, pick and mention. Excellent. Okay, well, I am going for two very specific reasons for Caroline Skinner. And the reason why I'm doing ah. that it, is because, as far as we know, she persuaded Tom Baker to come back to Doctor Who for the 50th anniversary. He, he, <laughs> says, he says it was her persuasive tongue that did it. Ah. And... As far as we know, she also persuaded Phil Morris to part with um, his film cans in in time for the same um, <laughs> period of time. So, so th- that's true. As far as the fiftieth anniversary is concerned, <laughs> if it hadn't been for Caroline Skinner, we wouldn't have had Tom Baker. We wouldn't have had those two, yeah, classic adventures. So, 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 I, so I don't know what else she did. I don't know what an exec does, but I'm picking yeah. up for those two things. <laughs> Justifiable and acceptable. <laughs> okay, producer. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for Phil Collinson, and I guess it's the same reason, in a way, perhaps, that I picked RTD. It's because... Well, it's two reasons, actually. So, mm-hmm. so the first one is that they had to work out how to make Doctor Who in, that, in the first year it came back, mm-hmm. which they managed to do. But then, also, for four years on the trot, they banged out one season after another without fail... Same time each year, same number of episodes, and I mean, heaven knows how they did it. It must have been an absolute nightmare. Yeah. And yet, and yet they did that. And it's you know, it seems to me that Phil Collinson must have been a big part of the, of, the, of of how they managed that. I mean, not not forgetting the fact that that uh, Russell T Davis had to write an awful lot of um, scripts in the same period as well. And it feels like the longer that we've gone on in in Doctor Who, the more that people have realised. You know how hard it is to make, and you know the longer it's taken people to make it, and the fewer episodes we've got. And I, you know, I don't think, to some extent, that what we're seeing necessarily is that the you know the, the subsequent people are bad at making television. I think what we're seeing mm-hmm. is that there was just an astonishing machine in those first four years at churning out episodes of Doctor Who, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, even in a year, mm-hmm. of remarkable quality. Absolutely, and and he's such a fan of the show too. You know, it's I love listening to him on like uh, the the cla- the season Blu-rays, classic yeah. season Blu-rays. He's on some of those, and you can just feel there's a genuine, not only love for the show, but also just like a responsibility to do it right as well. Mm. You know, and you just want him to succeed. And um, I remember my first Gallifrey one in 2009. Phil Collinson was a guest there, yeah. And uh, during one of the room parties, he took over as bartender and was serving everyone drinks. <laughs> Which was astounding. I never thought I'd see that. You know, a wide-eyed Doctor Who fan having his first Doctor Who fan experience, as I was at the time. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I think, I don't, I don't know what this drink is, but I got to line up to get one because Phil Collins in the picture <laughs> of Doctor Who is going to serve it to me. So, sure. Yeah. I'm going to pick Tracy Simpson, who yep. uh, I believe was a line manager or uh, one of the production crew on that first season. Eventually, wound up being producer yep. uh, for large chunks of series five and six. Phil Collinson says 
that one week into production uh, the first series of Doctor Who, they were three weeks behind, and it was they, they was it was not going well. Yeah, which probably led to Christopher Eccleston leaving uh, after his first year. Uh, and it was Tracy Simpson who basically just uh, snapped everyone to attention. Here's what we got to do. Here's this, this, this. Like basically, did stuff. Fantastic. And I remember, oh, what was it now? She was, she's was she been at a couple of Gallifrey ones. I interviewed her at the first one she was at. And then I remember she was on a large panel of guests for the second one. I happened to just be backstage waiting to go on for the next one or something. I can't remember what the logistics of it were. But she was sort of like, okay. so but, but, Like, she was a guest. She was a panelist. There were other people around her. But she was, like, starting to sort of, like, arrange things already that's just it's inbuilt in her she needs to have everything in its proper place and this is the order of things this is how it's all going to be organized i i kind of admire that you know she didn't overstep her boundaries she was just you know exerting her natural skills and charms into uh, making the the process run a lot more smoothly so yeah tracy simpson i i I feel like your team's going to get stuff done (laughs) <laughs> well hey you got Collinson I mean yeah we, I think we've got some we're not picking any dead weight here I don't think when it comes to these fantastic okay uh, what about writer uh, this is where the crossover happens it's got to be Moffat hasn't it it just I mean he's he's he, he was showrunner and wrote his own stuff Moffat is my vision of Doctor Who the way he writes stories the timey-wimeyness of them the, the hiding aspects of the plot in plain sight that I never pick up on uh, until it's revealed to me that it was there the whole time and he does it every single time I so many times been duped by Stephen Moffat scripts and I love it he knows how to start a series uh, like uh, the series five is just superb I find that the Capaldi first season of that is also superb this first episode of Sherlock is still one of the the mm-hmm. best series introductions I think I've ever seen. I I haven't watched Sherlock a lot, but I've watched that first episode several times because I just think it's note perfect in how you launch a new show uh, for a new audience. So, yeah, Moffat, I mean, he's rattle off all the episodes he's written. I think that if I was to pick a top ten, certainly in the modern series, uh, without even looking at the, who the writer was, I would just assume, oh, yeah, and probably eight or nine of them would have been Moffat. So that, that wasn't much of a choice for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've picked Moffat, and yep. and and I've 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 picked the version of Moffat I think where he's only having to write one or two episodes a year, mm-hmm. you know, alongside RTD because because I think that that helps him to channel his remarkable talent into something that's that, that that's even more perhaps astonishing i mean I, I i i don't i don't denigrate the work that he did under his own showrunner but i but but i just feel like those those first stories that he wrote in in the rtd era were were amazing and perhaps you know the moffatiness of them shone out because they were in a sea of not moffat mm-hmm. and and when you when they're surrounded by other moffat it's yeah it, it, it's sort of less easy to see the brilliance so anyway that, that's what i'm that's what i'm going for uh, yeah i mean you know there have been other good writers other great writers in in the modern era but nobody quite like moffat no one no and, and you know I, it, you get the feeling that he's like he's written his last script although you feel like there's always ideas there hmm. but i do like this temptation of of previous showrunners 
not to step in on the toes of the current administration, so to speak. Yeah. They don't want to overshadow shadow their successors. That's uh, yeah. kind of quaint in a way. But I, of all the writers, I would kind of enjoy seeing what Moffat would do with a just a you know a bog standard 45 minute episode in the middle of a series oh by the way Moffat's coming back to write that you know mm. he almost tried to do that himself you know like I need a challenge so I'm going to write like extremists which is not one of my favorite Moffat stories uh, but listen it was another one I'm just going to write one a little tiny little episode in the middle of uh, the season see may, maybe people will like it maybe not it's not a finale and it's mm. it's brilliant so yeah he could do finales he could do little episodes in the middle of the season equally well yeah yeah, I, th- I think I think the only writer that that I that I could p- possibly be persuaded to pick would be Toby Whithouse. Yeah, but I th- yeah, I don't know. I, I, I I'm, I'm, but I'm picking Moffat. So there we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me too. No argument. Okay, I'm trying to think. I think it, is it your turn now to go for a director? I think it is. Uh, no, I went writer. I went okay. writer, and then you went Fine. writer. So okay, so yeah. director. Well, okay, I'm 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 going to pick. I don't know if this is out of left field or not. But I'm going to pick um, Jamie Magnus Stone because oh. I th- I feel like the last the most recent series it's never it's never looked as good. No. And you know I mean I I, I can't say I mean you you've described this most recent series as, as as being something you really enjoyed. I there are there are there are points in the series that I thought were fantastic. I really really enjoyed the haunting of Villa Diodati. I just thought that was. A fantastic episode, and there are aspects of other stories. Uh, you know, uh, Spyfall was one of them. I think where, where um, the the first episode of them that Jamie Magnus Stone was involved in, and that you know the the, the fantastic shots that we'd had in in all of the trailers ahead of time. I mean, they you know it, when we saw them, they didn't lose anything for 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 being lengthened out. So yeah, I again, I mean, you know, as much as there have been fantastic directors in, in the original series, there have been great directors in the new not not quite the same repetition, I suppose, perhaps I mean, there have been a few directors who've got, who've had more longevity in the new series, uh, but largely I guess they've come and gone uh, you know, they've, 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 they've done a few episodes and they've moved on to something else mm-hmm. um, and, you know, perhaps that's going to continue but anyway, that's, that's my pick No, that's a good one, I, I, you're right the Chibnall era uh, with a switch over to the different aspect ratio and the new cameras. Like, you know, I spoke earlier about how RTD era Doctor Who looks almost archaic, just the mm. way they make it. You know, it was an SD still then. It's widescreen, but, like, there's just a certain scope that isn't there now. That's just how – that's just Doctor Who moving the bar. I think it's just the TV industry is sort of – moved a lot you know you look at something like the mandalorian which is made on a on a on a sound stage but looks amazing right up there with with stuff you see in films and stuff and you're right i think the the look of uh of series 12 especially i think was was superb i'm going to go with uh with rachel talalay we're <laughs> we're about to record a three-part miniscope on radio free scaro about Talalay's work. She did seven episodes, but yeah. they are all massive and months, so we feel we can't do her justice in, in just one or two. So, yeah. gosh, Heaven Sent is the most spectacular piece of television entertainment I think I've ever yeah. seen. It's it's the sheer audacity of a show to make an episode like that mm-hmm. and ha- have a director like that come to it and make it like an auteur piece for a weekly television show and giving her the freedom to to be able to do what she wanted with that 
essentially. And it's fascinating here hearing her talk about her experiences working in the UK, especially for Doctor Who, for much less money, but much more creative control and freedom, as opposed to working in the US for more money, but essentially being a, you know, a gatherer of footage so that it could be moved into the edit suite and pieced together there. You know, she would be there like for the first two passes basically, and then that's it. Well, the editors will take it from here. And so you could just tell that there's a love of, uh, of her craft when it comes to what she's doing in Doctor Who and how much she's taught. Like she talked, she did a commentary on our, on our podcast for Heaven Sent and Hell Bent yeah. because she's so proud of that and she wants to tell the world about it. And it's so tragic that that episode didn't get uh, the awards love that it deserved because it, it is stunning in every way. Yeah, every episode that she's directed for Doctor Who has just stood out as a big thing. And, you know, I, I would love for her to come back and just do a middle-of-the-road, middle-of-the-season, one-episode thing. She's she's done these all these finales for, like, three years in a row in the Moffat era and the Capaldi era. Uh, mm. I'd love to see, see what she would do just with a, a standard episode. I bet you she'd make it pop and zing like everything else she did. Yeah, it's, it's a great pick, yeah. Which leaves us with... The composer, and the designer too. Oh no, you're right. The designer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 I think I guess in that case it must be you to go with the designer. Well, uh, I mean, there's been like what four, five designers yeah. over the last <laughs> last uh, decade and a half for Doctor Who. It's different than the uh, uh, the previous uh, era, obviously. Um, I gotta go with Michael Pickwood. Uh, goodness, his TARDIS set is my favorite of uh, both the original Matt Smith one and then the augmented with the uh, the books and stuff for the Capaldi era. There's there's a his his first episode was the um, Christmas Carol and yeah. oh there's just some like sort of wonderful steampunky kind of Victorian space feel to all those sets. They're just wonderful. I was lucky enough to uh, meet him, and uh, he was at a um, at a talk, a sort of like a, a mini convention in Derby in 2015. We happened to be in the UK, and we went up to Derby and watched him. And I interviewed him afterwards. And then afterwards, uh, me and Steve Hatcher, the who did the Hoover's um, convention there. Uh, and a few others went out to a Chinese restaurant at Darby at like 11 p.m. And I sat next to him and he was telling me stories about designing like Withnell and I and all these other things. And he was just the, the kindest and the humblest man. And we lost him far too soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of his designs were just brilliant. So, yeah, Michael Pickwood for me. Excellent. I, I, I think I've lived in this country for over half a century. I don't think I've ever quite made it to derby yet so i'll have to uh have to rectify that, that sometime it's not no. that far i took a train <laughs> i'm from canada i navigated yeah. your train system to go up to derby it's not uh, that hard it, it's my own fault i mean i started out in in uh, in yorkshire i mean derbyshire is just the next county so yeah um there we go yeah well look i've also picked michael pickwood and mm-hmm. i think you know for very similar reasons to you i mean one thing that particularly st- stood out for me well, I guess I picked out three things. That, 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 so, so a Christmas Carol. You've already met, uh, mentioned that. I think Asylum of the Daleks. I think I like the look of, mm-hmm. and Heaven Sent. But I mean, yeah. but, fundam- but 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 you know, fundamentally, as you say, he he he, he designed so much that he, I could pick almost anything. And and uh, there's, it's almost too rich, isn't it? There's there's, there's, <laughs> there's more than you can possibly see 
and that's true, I guess, of all the designers who've been in the new series more than you can see in in the in the the episode. And even if you watch it, looking out for stuff, you still won't see it all. But they 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 seem not to care about that. They they sort of love it so much they they're going to put all those details in anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's it's a wonderful craft. I I don't envy them. It's it's a hell of a thing to be able to design you know all those sets for all those episodes in one given year and have them be as as fresh and you know exciting and and yet background scenery at the same time you know not uh not bad or not good but just sort of like to to help enhance the scene which is going on it's a it's a it's a very crafty skill they should be appreciated i'm glad we're doing this today Mm. (laughs) okay well well so now we're now at a toss-up aren't we the composer (laughs) yep what are the other gold second akinola I mean, I guess. I mean, the, th- the thing with with Murray Gold is he can do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, on 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 all of those se- seasons that he worked on. And what am what am I going to get irritated about? The fact that they turned his music up too high. It's not really his fault, is it? No. So I don't know. I could I could I could pick Second Akinola because I want because he's he's also a, a great composer and because I just want to be awkward, but. I don't know. I feel like I probably ought to pick Murray Gold because he because he's done he's done everything in the course of that period of time. Yeah. Well, I was just going to pick whoever you weren't going to pick. Uh, yeah, yeah, very good. Because I I'm happy with both. You know, Murray, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the uh, the epic themes that you like. I hear the uh, I am the Doctor Matt Smith theme. Yes. In hockey yeah. rinks. <laughs> here in north america like it's uh, it's something that has just uh like somehow gone outside of the uh, of the normal zeitgeist of doctor who there's some there's some anthemic qualities to a lot of murray gold mm. stuff which you know if you're looking for perhaps a more serene moment maybe it, it's tougher to, to, for him to sort of scale it back a little bit right. and when sagan akinola came in there yes. was it. Sort, it sort of began as more of a stark, kind of electronic yeah. bass score. And by the end yeah. of the series, and then certainly in the you know, especially in the Spyfall bits where he does his, uh, there's the music that's from uh, Resolution, uh, the mm-hmm. New Year special, which I really like. At the end, it comes in a lot, and then they, he does like a James Bond version of it for Spyfall, which I thought was quite clever. Uh, but I kind of like his when he just sort of like has like an atmosphere to it. You know, I watched for the first time relatively recently. Uh, no Country for Old Men, the Coen Brothers film. And what has drew me to it, yet was left it off, <laughs> I didn't get to it like till 10 years until after I heard about it, is that there's next to no music score, apart from like some sort of like building atmosphere of like literally like rubbing some like Buddhist uh, uh, meditation bowls. There's like just sound, mm. just sort of like an ominous sound coming up. And when it comes in, it just enhances the scene a little bit. But I also like when the is just the action on screen that's happening. The Sandbaggers is the same thing too. There's no musical score in that that show at all. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of I, I appreciate the bomb the bombast, especially when it's well deserved and stuff. You know, when you when you need that little heroic punch. Yeah. Like, you know, things go ah, uh, I hear the Matt Smith Doctor theme. He's got a plan. Something's gonna happen. Yeah. It's gonna come together. But I also like it when it's just sort of like this low hum this low mm. ominous hum that sort of thinks Sagan Akinola sort of brings into things so I appreciate both approaches I'm glad that yeah. Akinola didn't sort of do a similar thing to what Murray Gold did uh, and I appreciate them both so I think I picked I don't even remember who I picked I picked Sagan Akinola you picked Murray Gold but I probably would have had the same um, analysis if I had picked it the other way 
so, I, so what I recall particularly, I think from from Second Akinola is is the cellos in the Ghost Monument. Oh yeah, right. yeah. The Sonic Screwdriver thing. It's called Sonic Screwdriver on the uh, the soundtrack. But the the, right. the music when the TARDIS appears and mm. the doctors, you know, come to mummy. I mean, uh, come to daddy. I mean, mummy. You know, just the music <laughs> there is like it, it. It it's emotional. You know. You know the TARDIS is coming back at some point, but it is a it's an yeah. emotional moment because of that music. Yeah. Okay, so we've we've got our our dream teams then for the new series. They're they're, they're looking less different than the um, <laughs> than the original ones were. I guess you know, perhaps in some cases we had fewer people to choose from in the categories. Mm-hmm. So, have you got a story that, that that you'd like to remake with your dream team? Oh, well, I'm going to try and go modern series because i feel it's kind of like unfair to like make a classic series given that it's so much older yeah. and they did what they could with it boy uh again i didn't have these um these planned out in my head but i wanted i'm trying to think of a less notable modern series story that could have been done mm. differently although it's it's easy to go back into like series one and sort of remake those because you know production has sort of moved on since then i think um, I don't know. Do you have one for your dream team? While I try to think of one for mine. Well, I I, I am trolling you slightly, but I was thinking that <laughs> it would be it would be nice to for them to remake the end of time. But but <laughs> but but Moffat writes it, right? Rather than rather than RTD, it's still this is all good. This is all no. This is right. this is good news. This is yeah, yeah. trolling. This is a valid <laughs> attempt at doing something properly. This is all right. Yeah, yeah. So so Phil Collinson had already left by the point that the end of time's made so you know i don't i don't know what difference that's going to make but it might make some we've got caroline skinner maybe maybe you know maybe she'll persuade peter davison to come back or something i don't know but but you know we we might be might be able to get a a, a, a you know more more guest cast or something right uh director i i i just think fewer potions for sure and <laughs> And you know maybe maybe we might you know get rid of a, a random alien race or two. So director, well it's it, it's 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 going to look it's going to look sharp. It's going to look wide. I mean you know uh-huh. m- maybe it's maybe that's only um, to show off more of um, Bernard Cribbins' wrinkles. But I guess we'll have to see. <laughs> and yeah, design wise as well. I I guess we've got a different look to the whole thing. So so yeah. And maybe I should have picked Saganak and Oli just just so we have a different score. But anyway, there we go. Uh, I, I, I feel like I feel like the end of time is it, it could be different. Oh it, well, I tell you what, it, I'll it didn't have to be this way, right? No, <laughs> there should have been another way. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Uh, I one hundred percent applaud completely remaking that story because, uh, uh, yeah, I tell you what, I'll go I'll go around that same era and and remake the next Doctor. Okay, uh, so so that. You know the mystery isn't solved twenty minutes in uh, to the episode, and we don't have anything left for David Morrissey to do. Yeah, you could remake it slightly to maybe prolong the mystery or have it. You know, I, I imagine Moffat would have done something crazy with that, uh, mm. or if it was Chibnall, would have been like Joe Martin, and she yeah, would have yeah. thought she was the. You know, you would yeah. remake that. You yeah, could yeah. have the David David Morrissey Doctor as a pre Hartnell Doctor, possibly. <laughs> so maybe Chibnall should be writing this one. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I, I feel that the, the lack of mystery uh, just completely sinks that episode. So I would have liked to uh, to see something properly done in that mm. time period. It happens like in Victorian England, but you don't get a sense of it. And then you watch like Deep Breath, which yeah. it's just the production value of that is staggering. You just feel yes. like you're in dirty old London and the Crimson Ore the same way. You know, there's that, that era of, of England. Uh, and I think perhaps they could have made that more apparent in that. So, yeah, uh, I'm picking the next Doctor. So, so boy, the, the gap year specials are mm. taking a bit of a hit from us, apparently, because we yeah, yeah. want them, almost all of them, to be remade. It does feel like at that period there were too many kind of resets, as you say, sort of the, the easy choices for the, the guy who thinks he's a Doctor to not actually be the Doctor. But mm. it's actually a bit more interesting if if all the way through you, you're sure that he isn't the Doctor, then he turns out to be. Yeah, they you know it, they they tear down that wall fairly quick, yeah. you know. It, it the doctor doesn't believe it for no. very long at all. Not for no. a second, really. No. no. Yeah, yeah, and that maybe doesn't need to be cyber shades either. Probably not, you know. But it's Christmas. I suppose you need a hook. <laughs> you need a hook. So Cybermen are 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 what they were. Weird Cybermen in gorilla suits, but yeah, 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 yeah. Excellent. Well, look, thanks, thanks, uh, Stephen, for for playing dream team with with me and um yeah i, I guess we could hardly have had a, a a broader scope to look at and i'm not sure that we've we've proven anything with that <laughs> other than that we've probably both forgotten somebody highly important that we should have picked but hey you know they were our dream teams and not anybody else's exactly yeah sometimes you don't have you don't dream about everything you dream about specific things at one time and then you wake up so we just yeah. didn't get to the rest of them if we miss them at all yeah but look, it's 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 fantastic that you 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 took the time to to go with this uh, ridiculous concept and uh, <laughs> and and plunged in it with both feet. So thanks very much. Oh well, thanks for giving me the avenue to discuss avenue, discuss aspects of production of Doctor Who, which is one of my favorite things. Fantastic, brilliant. I think you, I mean you have already hinted at, at at things that are coming on on Radio Free Sky. Any any uh, with your um, your mini scope. Um, any anything else you want want to talk about on that front, or um, I suppose Christmas is coming too. Yeah, Christmas is coming. I don't know. We're, the odd thing is that we're we're sort of as we record this, we're almost at the end of our series twelve commentaries. Um, so they so we're recording ahead a lot while we can yeah. because things might get busy for me in the new year early on, especially. So a lot of the stuff like the Talalay miniscopes won't come out until January, mm. uh, but we're recording them now. Um, uh, so no, nothing really on the menu. I know that you're right. The Christmas is coming up. So we're doing our, our fluid links advent calendar, one uh, fluid link question a day from December 1st to 24th. And we've recorded most of those already too. So, uh, so yeah, uh, leading up to whenever the holiday special will be probably New Year's day by the looks of it. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, we're in lockdown in pandemic, but really has anything changed, uh, for we Doctor Who podcasters? No, we just talk over the internet like we always do. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's, it's all talking all the time with, with very little content to talk about, but you know, (laughs) it's what we do. It's what we do. We make, we make, we make do. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, well, thanks so much. Thank you, Richard.
excellent. Thank you for allowing. Yeah, you asked me if I have enough time. I'm the one who like decides to wax poetic about uh, Tony Burrow. I mean, how that's the most anyone's ever said about Tony Burrow on a podcast yeah. that I know of. I know. Well, uh, you know, and 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 as a result, you've 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 made it the must listen podcast for <laughs> you know for 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 fans of um, of Tony Burrow. Uh. Hopefully, hopefully he's listening. I think he's still with us. Maybe he says, "Oh, never, never guess what I heard on his podcast here." <laughs> Singing your praises. Yeah. Do you know? It's well, it's well named audacity because it just does <laughs> whatever the heck that it likes. Ah, it is... uh, you get what you pay for with that. Uh, <laughs> It's really handy. And so like there are some functions that Audacity does that I yeah. think it does better than like some of my paid programs. Um, but then there are other times. Like I, I don't know how people edit on it. I, I'm baffled by it. But uh, um, there's other stuff. Like sometimes I freely and easily convert like MP4 files to something usable, yeah. you know. Oh, oh, oh. Why is that doing that? That is utterly frustrating it, it, it looks like it's doing automatic leveling but it's just going up and down and that yeah, is not going to work very well for anybody no um let me see if giving it a restart so um well i could ask you how you are but that, that kind of uh, priceless banter ought to go on the podcast i suppose <laughs> well i i i hope you're recording 